Hello and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 138. We will be going over the edits, but I'll quickly get through the station news. Just as a reminder, if you want to check out my website, feel free to do so at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. You can subscribe to the RSS there. You can also get the show notes, which will tell you where to get Steve's book. Or just search Stephen Oaks at Amazon, but the links are in the show notes. My own book, Lightbringer links in the show notes as well so on amazon and uh there's a bunch of stuff in the show notes uh i think steve has a blog it's in there anyway check out the show notes that's where everything is but without further ado we're going to jump straight into the edda uh then spoke in glary it was a pretty terrible family that loki begot and all these siblings are important but why did not the azir kill the wolf since they can expect evil from him as a reminder, last time we were reading about the Fenris Wolf and how he's going to be really bad in in general, but especially the end of the in the end of the world or Ragnarok. High replied, "So greatly did the gods respect their holy place, their pla- So greatly did the gods respect their holy places and places of sanctuary that they did not want to defile them with the wolf's blood, even though the prophecies say that he will be the death of Odin." Then spoke Inglary, who are the Asinyar? Okay, so I think that's just ending the section we just did. So I don't have much to say that I haven't already, except the idea of sacred places. You know, you don't want to spill blood in Asgard. Um, it's interesting. I like the idea of sacred spaces, and it seems like our ancestors did too. So I'll just point that out. That's why they didn't kill the wolf because it wouldn't have been honorable to do so in a place where you're not supposed to have fighting. Uh, There's kind of the idea that there are places appropriate for fighting and places not appropriate for fighting. I I feel like we don't have it so much anymore. But remember, back when I was a kid, no, I'm joking, but like a long time ago, not even back when our ancestors were around like a thousand years ago, but even in the more recent past, a couple hundred years ago, there were places, there were generally, spe- of course, there's always exceptions, but they're kind of generally speaking places you did battle on the battlefield and places you didn't. You wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, necessarily just raid. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, I guess it did happen a lot too, didn't it? Uh, that villages would be raided and stuff like that. Um, that's not something new. So maybe it's a bit of a fine line, but I think that there were certain sacred spaces that you would not fight in. Like Asgard, there'd probably be temples and things like that sacred to our ancestors, and they'd just be like off-limit places. Um, I think a couple hundred years ago is even more obvious. We had even more off-limit places like you don't bomb hospitals, you don't bomb civilians. Now, going way back to our ancestors, I know they did do raids on villages. Uh, obviously, that probably wasn't okay, but they did do that. So, for whatever reason, the village wasn't a quote-unquote sacred place, maybe because they were like, well, these people should defend themselves, or whatever the reason, it wasn't considered a sacred place. But they would not like raid a temple now did they raid monasteries yeah they did 
But those weren't their people. That wasn't their religion. So they probably didn't consider it a sacred space. But there were places they wouldn't raid, like sacred groves and sacred temples. They would not raid. Those were like off-limits. Um, but villages were not off-limits. And I'm thinking it's because they're like, oh, that's just like those people should be prepared. And then later, as we... Um, progressed through civilization we got to the point where we would not do things like drop bombs on hospitals and civilian settlements the battle was supposed to take place on the battlefield and I think that's a good idea you shouldn't involve civilians it's it's not necessarily the, it's usually not their war um, but then you know starting with World War II especially we kind of went back on that and now we're in a place where we do bomb hospitals and civilians we don't have sacred places anymore now arguably our ancestors should have more could have had more sacred places like we're not going to raid a defenseless village because you know that's probably not okay and you know how often did they do that that's definitely a thing in the viking age who knows how much of a thing it was earlier on. But there were at least some places that were off limits. And I think it's good to have places off limits. It's like we don't do the fighting here. Like I know we all have different ideas and belief and there's going to be war in the world. That's just part of the world. But I like the idea that there's some place and it's like, yeah, but not here. Like this is an off limits place. And, you know, I think that's good. So they kind of had that. That's why they didn't kill the wolf. Even though he was evil, even though he had to be killed, even though he's going to do all of these terrible things, they're like, no, this is an off-limits place. This is a safe space. We can't kill in this place. So there's really nothing we can do. Our hands are tied. <clears throat> all right, so moving on. Then spoke Inglary, who are the Asinyar? Who are the Asinyar? High said, the highest is Frigg. She has a dwelling called Fenselir, and it is very splendid. Second is Saga. She dwells at Sokovbak, and that is a big place. Third is Air. She is an extremely good physician. Fourth is Gethin. She is a virgin and is attended by all who die virgins. Fifth is Fulla. She too is a virgin and goes around with her hair flowing free and has a gold band around her neck. She carries Frigg's casket and looks after her footwear and shares her secrets. Freya is highest in rank next to Frigg. She was married to someone called Odd. Nas is the name of their daughter. She is so beautiful that from her name, whatever is beautiful and precious is called Nasir, treasure. Odd went off on long travels and Freya stayed behind weeping and her tears are red gold. Freya has many names, and the reason for this is that she adopted various names when she was traveling among strange people looking for Odd. She is called Martel and Horn, Geffen Seer. Freya owned the Brizings necklace. She is known as Lady of the Vanir. Seventh is Sinoff. Okay, I'm going to stop for just a second while we're on Freya still. Um, I think that it's interesting here that Freya had many names because she went traveling as well looking for Odd. Because that, <coughs> excuse me, that reminds us of Odin, right? Who also had many names because he went traveling for knowledge's sake. So there's some, there's some parallels between Odin and Freya here. Um, the... The Brissings necklace kind of has some 
ideas of sacrificing for something that you really want, uh, which Odin is all about that too. Obviously a very different type of sacrificing. Um, but still, there is like doing things that maybe, quote unquote, most people wouldn't, wouldn't do because they didn't want to or they didn't, it was not appealing, but like making kind of big sacrifices to get what you want in both of them. But I think the go, the traveling aspect and going by different names is really important here. And then Odin is always very much associated with death, specifically battle. You know, the raven is his bird and that's a bird of death, a bird of battle. So he's got a lot of connections with death because he's kind of a war, a, a god of war. Freya also has a decent amount to do with death, with satyr magic. So there's a lot of connections here between Odin and Freya. I think there's a lot of similarities there, which is interesting to think about. Um, and remember, Frigga is Odin's wife. I assume everybody knows that, but sometimes people get it confused. Freya is not Odin's wife. Frigga is Odin's wife. But there's still an awful lot of connections between Freya and Odin. And I think that's interesting. Maybe there just happens to be some connections or maybe it's something more. But I, whenever there's like these really obvious connections between the gods, it's always interesting to look at them and say like, in what what other ways are they similar? Why are they similar? Oh, and then um, the, the dead who become the Einherjar. Freya actually has the first pick of the dead to go to her hall. So she's connected in that way too. So there's a lot of connections between Odin and Freya. But of course, there's also some huge differences. Most noticeably, she's Vanir and he's Aesir. So completely different sides, so to speak. But it's interesting that there are so many connections between Freya and Odin, especially being brought up in this passage. Uh, going on, she is known as Lady of the Vanir. Seven is Theophan. She, she is Seven is Theophan. She is much concerned to direct people's minds to love, both women and men. It is from her name that affection is called Theophany. Obviously, that's lost in translation because it's not what affection is called in English. Eighth, Lofen. She is so kind and good to pray to that she gets leave from all father or frig for people's unions between women and men, even if before it was forbidden or refused. Hence it is from her name that it is called lof, permission, as well as when something is praved, lofot, greatly by people. Ninth far, she listens to people's oaths and private agreements that women and men make between each other. Thus these contracts are called varar. She also punishes those who break them. Tenth, vor, she is wives and inquiring, so that nothing can be concealed from her. There's a saying that women became, there's a saying that a woman becomes aware, vor, of something when she finds it out. Eleventh, sin, the guards, she guards the doors of the hall and shuts them against those who are not to enter, and she is appointed as def defense at assemblies against matters that she wishes to refute. Thus, there is a saying that a denial, sin, is made when one says no. Twelfth, Helm. She is the function of she has she is given the function of protecting whom Frigg wishes to save from some danger. From this comes the saying that someone who escaped finds refuge, Hilnir. 
13. Snorta. She is wise and courteous. From her name, a woman or man who is a wise person is called Snoter. Fourth, Gna. She is sent by Frigga into various worlds to carry out her business. She has a horse that gallops across the sky and sea, called Hafnir. Sorry for the names. I'm very bad at pronouncing them. It happened once, as she was riding, that some Vanir saw her traveling through the sky. Then said one, All right, I'm going to take a break here. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so we just went over a lot of gods probably most of you have not heard of or are not very familiar with, myself included. There's not really much lore on most of those goddesses that I just mentioned. I mean, if we're talking about Frigga or Saga, sure, they come up in other places. But a lot of these, it's just mentioned here. And it's always sort of sad that you know there was so much more to be learned, so much more that our ancestors knew that we don't anymore and we never will. I mean, you could take any of these gods and this goddesses and this quick description to do your own work with the gods, which totally you should do. Um, see what you can learn about them. Like, even though we've lost their stories, they still exist, right? The gods are, in my opinion anyway, the gods' existence is not, um, oh, what's the words? The gods' existence do not rely on our belief in them we don't think of the gods and then that is why they exist you know with some things that is true example luke skywalker did not exist until um somebody thought of him and wrote him and now he's a character who exists in everybody's mind space like he's real in a lot of ways because he affects people's lives but his existence is contingent on us believing in him because he is made up and he's a construct not to say you can't use him for real world useful things if you're trying to explain something and the luke skywalker star wars saga helps describe it then you can use that and you can you know um, make your point with that or I mean look at Star Wars that film is hugely influential for lots of people and it had real-world consequences the most easy to see is George Lucas getting a lot of money so there's a lot of real-world consequences in that and in some sense Luke Skywalker does play a big role in many people's lives but he is contingent his existence is contingent on something else and another person george lucas namely but also everybody else who believes in him um so if we lose the luke skywalker story just humanity goes extinct does he exist anymore that's a great question and one worth arguing i would say probably not because he kind of he he is just an idea that we created so he lives in us he lives in people he doesn't live outside of that the gods and goddesses i would argue are different where they existed before people and independently of people so their existence is not contingent on us knowing about them so some of these goddesses that maybe you haven't heard of if we forgot the luke skywalker story you could never get it back it's just gone sure you'll come up with something similar but you'll never get that exact story back but these goddesses since their existence is not contingent on 
us believing in them. They exist independently of us. You could take that short description and name as a jumping off point and start working with them and start rediscovering some of those stories. How would that work? I don't know. That's complicated. You would probably have certain ideas of those goddesses and you'd say I think this goddess is like this and I think she'd do things like this and I think she's the goddess of this it's quite possible no one would believe you and it's quite possible other people would disagree with you and you'd have to say like well I don't have any evidence so you could be right or I could be right it's hard to say some people might not say like I don't think that god even exists I think she's just something snorri added like as an individual he just wanted he just wanted this new goddess, so he made it up and threw in. Like, you can't prove that wrong, necessarily. But in time, I feel like people who are also true will sort of come to conclusions about those things. And I do think that gods and goddesses can come back into the lore and be honored again. I think one we're seeing right now is Ostera. Some people think Ostera is made up. Some people think Ostera is real. The people who think Ostera is, is real have done work with her and been like, hey, I through meditation, I have reached out to Ostera and she's contacted me back and now I have a bloat where I honor Ostera and we talk about rebirth and spring and things like that and for those people Ostera is very much part of their tradition and part of their ritual and as they teach more people about Ostera those people now have stories of Ostera so goddesses can come back and you know if we look at these and we're like okay I'm going to pick sin and I'm going to really personally as an individual jump into anything else that it mentions her anywhere else and maybe that's nowhere and then I'm just going to start really working with her and finding out what she's about and then I'm going to put that into my practice and I don't know I'm going to reach out to the community if you're willing to reach out for the community good for you I do not usually do that um but, you know, maybe you reach out to the community and you tell other people and then a bunch of people start bringing her into their rituals and their lives. So that's something that's always neat about Asatru or, or any religion, really, as long as it's old. Yes, it is sad that we have lost a lot of the lore. A lot of those stories have been lost to time. But also it's kind of cool because we can actually rediscover those and bring them back now i think in your lifetime no one's going to believe you they're going to be like uh yeah that's your own upg your ungrounded personal gnosis like that's a thing you think but it's not true <coughs> excuse me most people are going to say like yeah this is the thing you think but i'm not going to believe it i think you're just weird but over the course of multiple generations with multiple people thinking similar things something might actually come about and people will be like oh yeah austera is totally true she's the goddess of spring and uh rebirth and we celebrate her in the easter time that's where the name kind of comes from so i do think that gods and goddesses can be rediscovered if you put in the time i don't expect anyone to put in the time because we have a lot of goddess gods and goddesses that we know a lot about and obviously that's going to be where most of your time is spent but you know maybe one of these other goddesses 
reach outs reaches out to you and you're like you know what I'm going to do a little to add to to the understanding of the gods I'm going to add back give back to Austria a little bit so that's a cool thing that you can do anyway back to this it happened once as she was writing that some Vanir saw her traveling through the sky then said one what is it flying there what is it traveling there passing through the sky she said I am not flying though I travel and pass through the sky on Hofvapnir whom Homskarep begot on Gardrafa Okay, those names were terrible, I'm sorry. From Gna's name, a thing is said to tower, Gnafa, when it goes up, when it goes high up. Sol and Bill are reckoning among the Asinir, but their characteristics have been mentioned above. There are still others who funct whose function it is to wait in Valhall, serve drink, and look after the table, tableware and drinking vessels. Thus are they named in Grim Grimnansal. Hrist and mist I desire should bring me a horn. Scale gold and skogel, hild and thra, clock and hrafter, gol and gilbrot, rongred and ragna and regnilif. These serve ale to the Einherjar. So we've talked about the Einherjar in the past a lot. This is underlined in my book, so someone thought it was important who is not me, because I don't underline things in my book, because that's destructive. Oh, this came from a used bookstore, though. Uh, these are called Valkyries. Odin sends him sends them to every battle. They allot death to men and govern victory. Gunn and Rota and the youngest Norn called Skald also ride to choose who shall be slain and to govern the killing. Thor's mother, Jord, and Vali's mother, Rind, are reckoned, reckoned among the Asinjar. So I'm sure everybody's heard of the Valkyries before. They just go and choose the bravest people that they see fighting and bring them to Valhalla or Freya's Hall, as we said earlier. So I, I'm not really going into the Valkyries because I just feel like it's such a well-known thing. Um, everybody's familiar with the Valkyries. Uh, actually, though, it is getting about to the place I think I should stop for right now. So I'm going to go ahead and put my bookmark in. <clears throat> Let's see. Okay, so this looks, we'll probably have a little more Asinir, but I think we're coming to the end of those. So, closing thoughts, there's a lot of Asinir. Definitely worth looking at them. And I do think it would be... If I had more time and motivation, I would love to look at all of these goddesses that are mentioned here in the Eddas and find where else they are mentioned. Like, usually what happens is uh, a god or goddess will be mentioned in a couple of different places. But a lot of time, you know, unless you're talking about the quote-unquote big ones like Frigga or Odin or Thor or or even the m medium ones like uh, Braggy or Saga or Air. A lot of a lot of the other ones, the lesser known ones, and not less important, just lesser known ones, you will find literally 
one place or maybe two places. So it's really hard to know, like, it's hard to get a feel for those god and goddesses because they're listed in so few places. Um, but I do think it's worth it. It's worth looking into it. See if they come up in folk tales because sometimes, sometimes these um, deities come up in folk tales, and you can, you know, you've got to take that with a grain of salt because it's a folk tale, and sometimes it's to vilify, you know, pagan goddesses and god. So like, take it with a grain of salt. But sometimes they come up with folk and folklore that can be help increase your understanding of them but yeah there's a there's a bunch of goddesses that were mentioned right in what we read today and i don't i don't know a whole lot about a lot of them and it would, i would love to know more about them i'm curious what the future will hold what will we like as a people will do will we will we jump in and try to find out all of these lost goddesses gods and goddesses um will we have a small relationship with them because we don't know much about them but spend most of our time with the other ones i don't know i would be curious to see what like the wikipedia article of sin is now versus 100 years from now i think that could be really i think that could be really interesting Anyway, I'm going to wrap it up there. I will tell everybody, read the edits. It's definitely worth your time. And thank you very much for listening. Hope you got something out of that. I will be back next month. For now, I'll remind you, if you want to check out my website, feel free to do so. That's huginhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. And you should subscribe to the RSS because... These come out around the first of the month, but it's very rarely the exactly the first. But if you've got the RSS, just drops in your podcast player of choice, and you can listen to them that way. So thank you again for listening. I will see you next month. Uh, have a great month for hell. <laughs>